welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. What are the five main places that parents of PDA children and teens are getting stuck? Where and why do they stop making progress on their way to a stable family, their child thriving as the best version of themselves, and getting to a place of stability? So today I want to share with you a little bit about my expertise, which often people think of as, oh, Casey's an expert in PDA. And while I do have expertise in parenting and caregiving for a PDA child, I have one myself. My true deepest gift, I think, is actually my expertise in you, in your process, in where you get stuck, in where it's hard to make progress, because I see the patterns among the hundreds of families that I've worked with, and they reflect the same points where I got stuck as a mother. And I think it's important to share my stories with you about these different points that I've gotten stuck as well to normalize it and also to make it explicit and clear so that you can reflect for yourself. Am I getting stuck here? Can I go deeper? And is this a place where we can create more movement towards progress with my child or my teen? Okay, first, one of the primary places that I see parents getting stuck with making progress with their PDA child or teen is waiting for permission, okay? And this is very natural. I went through this as well. But it's the point at which parents find themselves waiting for a diagnosis to tell them the truth of their child or teen situation, wanting to try things out, but waiting until they know for sure, is it ODD or is it PDA? Waiting until a therapist, a pediatrician, a psychologist, a psychiatrist agrees with their inkling that it is PDA and waiting to take action until they have that permission from an authority. Waiting until a professional can figure this out. Okay, so this is something I went through myself when things started to go off the rails with my son. I am not a psychologist. I'm not even a teacher. I'm not trained in child development I am self-taught with all of that stuff. My background is as a social scientist, a political science to scientist to be specific. So like this was not my area of expertise in the sense of like, I feel like I am credible and I should know enough about this to be able to make decisions about parenting and therapy. Okay, so what did I do? I did what a lot of you have done, which is At the time, I was living in Washington, D.C., so I went to my pediatricians, I went to specialists, I was touring all the different therapy clinics, facilities, getting assessments from different professionals, paying oodles of money to get experts to tell me what was wrong with my son. But through this process, I was realizing, oh, actually nobody understands. Like, they're saying, like, you need stricter boundaries, you need 
to have consequences. Just don't let him do that. You need to take parenting classes. And I did some of that and would see with my own two eyes, I actually can't stop him from this behavior. It's reflexive. Like when I put a limit down, he has a panic response. And at the time, I didn't have the language even to articulate what I was observing. I only had the language of temper tantrums, of meltdowns, of defiance, of him being a feral animal. And I really didn't even have an ability to communicate with these authorities and professionals. And I kept looking for permission to do what in my heart I knew I needed to do, which was to try something different. And it was only when I made that decision, I remember saying to my husband, Jake, nobody is coming to save our family. Like nobody is is as invested in our family as we are. And nobody is going to figure this out but us, right? And it was this light bulb moment, but then I still had this same sticking point of like, I feel like I'm waiting for permission. The same thing happened with the autism evaluation, right? So often parents are like, I'm waiting to get an evaluation and an assessment or a neuropsych to tell me what's going on with my child. And this is very natural. This is the way that like society is set up. We have experts, we have institutions, we look to them to give us the answers and their expertise. However, we're operating currently in a time when there isn't institutional or professional knowledge in a systematic way about how our kids' brains and nervous systems work. So often parents have to make the mindset shift of instead of waiting for an expert or authority to tell me the answer and give me the diagnosis so that then I can change my parenting and the therapeutic approach, we have to flip it. Right. And we have to say, you know what? I think this is what's going on and I'm willing to experiment because this is my son or my child's life trajectory. This is their trauma and well being and mental health. And I am brave enough and know enough as a parent. And this is you guys. Like I am resourceful enough to try something different and see if it works. And it's not a commitment of like, I'm imposing this diagnosis and I think I'm a psychologist. I'm literally just brave enough to experiment. I'm not going to use consequences for a week and see what happens. I'm going to use declarative language and see if it shifts just a little bit, the connection. And I collect my own data. Okay, so luckily I had this ability to do sort of a hypothesis experiment track data because I had training as a social scientist. And so I had that ability to say, you know what, what if I just experiment and try and observe and see if the root cause might not be defiance, right? And then I had to advocate to get my son his autism diagnosis. Okay, so I did not walk in (laughs) to a clinic at a university and give over the information because I had done this at his school and what had come back was just like, regardless of all the reporting from home and all the information we had given them, it was just like our test doesn't show that he's autistic. So by this time I was ready. I was ready to provide more information, to advocate, to fight for his diagnosis because I knew that he needed it in order to have doors open. And I knew he was autistic too. Like it wasn't like a false strategy. It was like, I need to help them see what's true so that he can have legal access 
to the therapies, to the IEP, you know, the support in school, which we didn't end up having anyways, because it didn't work. And we had to go to a private school. But at the time, I was like, we need to advocate for a diagnosis. And I remember I was arguing so much with these young residents, which, you know, was really hard for me as a people pleaser. Um, I was like, no, you're not hearing me. You're not understanding that like he's masking that this is a fluctuating thing that there's cumulative nervous system stress that he's actually having a fight flight response. This isn't just behavior and they wouldn't listen. And so they actually brought in a senior developmental pediatrician. And I, because I was advocating so hard, right. And this was not easy for me at the time. (laughs) I ended the evaluation with like crying and sobbing and being like, everybody hates me and just having my own panic response because I had been so what felt like aggressive, but what was really just firm and what I knew to be true about my son, right? And so the doctor, the developmental pediatrician, I remember us talking and and going through the diagnosis and her giving the diagnosis because through our conversation, she finally realized the nuances, right? But this process was not one of here, I am conferring or giving you what the answer is. And now you can go take action. Unfortunately, For us parents of PDA children and teens, we are not living in a historical moment where that's a possibility at this point. And that's something that I work on passionately outside of the business, increasingly, you know, intersecting with the business. But like, apart from that, that's why I'm working with the University of Michigan and a tenured neuropsychologist in order to have research and eventually have PDA get into the DSM-5, but that's a totally long-term process and is not going to happen in the next year, right? Or even necessarily in the next five years. That's not how research works. That's not how institutions change. That's not how policy change changes. I mean, this is what my previous life was, research and policy. (laughs) So I know that in the meantime, for parents... Sometimes instead of waiting for someone with acronyms after their name to tell you your next step, you have to decide, right? And that's deeply uncomfortable, especially if you don't have a lot of confidence in yourself. And even if you do, when you're facing someone with a PhD or an MD and these upper echelons of society in the medical field, you are not going to feel confident, right? But that doesn't mean you can't decide, okay? So that's One, waiting for permission. Two, waiting for the research and evidence base. Okay, so this is going to come off. I hope it doesn't come off as someone recently in his Instagram was calling me an influencer peddling pseudoscience, which I thought was so funny because I have a doctorate degree and like a doctorate degree in political science and so- and social science methodology. And like I'm trained in this scientific method and like... I very much agree with needing to have an evidence base. I very much agree with rigorous research. That's why I acknowledge that um, it takes years, sometimes decades, for things to be researched in a rigorous way and then trickle into policy, practice, and implementation, which is what 
doctors, psychologists, and psychiatrists and therapists are doing. They're practicing what the research has found. So it's two different processes, right? But one area that I think I luckily had the curiosity mindset around, and I'll give you a story about why, was just like the fact that there isn't research yet, or that there isn't an evidence base yet, does not mean that a natural phenomenon doesn't exist, okay? It just means it hasn't been studied. And let me give you an example that might seem a tiny bit off topic, but it's not because it illustrates like how the scientific process works. Okay, so when I was in my doctorate program at Wisconsin-Madison, now I graduated from that program 2016. Okay, so my doctoral dissertation topic had to be about something that had either been a debate in the literature, a gap in our existing knowledge, or an empirical puzzle right? An empirical puzzle is just like we have the data, but it doesn't make sense. It's contradictory, right? So all three of these things are kind of existing for PDA, which is like, there's a debate in the literature about whether or not it exists. The only literature we have, there's a gap in the literature about like, we don't have empirical studies about it as a nervous system disability. And it's an empirical puzzle, right? Why do we have these paradoxes in the way that our child behaves when they're diagnosed as autistic or ODD, etc.? Okay, so what's the parallel in my previous life? I studied civil war, grassroots peace building, intergenerational trauma, reconciliation, and collective memory in Colombia, South America. Okay, so this was like my doctorate degree, my dissertation. So the gap in the literature or the debate was how does patterns of violence impact the way that people rebuild their communities after they've experienced massacres, bombings, etc. So I wanted to study rural areas that were poor and far away from urban centers like Bogota or Medellin or big cities in Colombia. There was no data. There was no data in the United States. There was not a lot of data in Colombia. Does that mean that there wasn't violence happening in these communities? No, it just means there wasn't a body of data or research that existed, okay? So what I did was I went into these areas, buses, jeeps, chivas, sometimes on the, sometimes I would ride horses into these areas, okay? Very remote, and I would talk to people. I would go to the local government and say, can we see your archives? I would go into churches and talk to the priests who had lived through the violence, right? And I collected the data. It didn't exist before. Why? Because the NGOs couldn't go into these really violent areas that were under the control of the armed groups. The journalists wouldn't go into these areas because they were under, they were under control of like the FARC, the ELN, paramilitaries. These were conflict zones, okay? And this was the post-conflict time period, like a decade later that I was traveling around and collecting this data. But when I'm looking at it from the safety of the Wisconsin library and trying to look at the official data sets that the Bogota, the like central big city of Colombia puts out, it doesn't show that there was a lot of violence there. But what happens? You go talk to the people, you go into the areas, you talk to the priests, you talk to the demobilized combatants, you talk to the woman whose son was killed. You look at the places where people used to be tortured that are now turned into memory and, and gardens where people are buried. You go in and you look at the actual data, okay? You don't just say this doesn't exist. 
That's not how science works. And any of you parents who are brilliant know this, right? PDA exists. It's not a debate to me. It's it's an empirical puzzle that we're putting bounds around. And so I feel like I'm uniquely positioned to not need an evidence base to move forward. I want to be part of creating that evidence base. But like my entire training was seeing other scientists, whether they're in the hard science sciences or in the social sciences, creating new knowledge. That is what the scientific process is. So when you're talking to a doctor, you're talking to a psychiatrist, you're talking to a psychologist or a therapist, yes, they're very highly trained, but they're trained in the existing body of sanctioned knowledge. That doesn't mean it's going to stay the same. And so what does that mean for us as parents? It just means that we can get stuck by waiting for there to be an evidence base instead of trusting yourself of like, we're just the first generation of parents who are putting, you know, putting ourselves in this position to shift the way that we're actually parenting based on what we think is true. And frankly, this isn't a new thing. Like historically, if you read Neurotribes, which is on my bookshelf, this is what parents of autistic children were doing in the 1960s to shift the narrative from like, this is like schizophrenia or, you know, a disease to autism. We're just doing it 60 years later. Okay, so I don't want you to get stuck on the like, I need to wait for the research because the research takes a long time. I also want you to feel empowered to understand that like when people use the it's not evidence-based, they're doing the best they can within the institutions and structures that they work in. That's their incentive structure. However, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. So don't let yourself get stuck or gaslit there. Third, wanting more information before you move into action. Okay, so this is something I went through too. And it's very common, right? We, we want to be well informed. I remember reading every book, you know, my first Instagram account, which is not this one. If you guys look, I only follow like 83 people. And most of them are people I know personally, or are like business people because I'm building my business because I find it potentially sometimes triggering. And I don't like a lot of input when I'm trying to be creative and produce. Okay. But I used to have a PDA account, PDA parents, where I was like an anthropologist studying and understanding the whole landscape and distribution of all the different neurodivergent narratives. So I was trying to understand and get more information. I was reading all the books about PDA. And I remember reading some of these things, especially the um, understanding PDA. And I remember feeling like reading how, like the despair that came through at the end of that book. It's an important book. It's interesting. It's informative. It was the best starting point for a lot of this research. But it was basically like, there's all these terrible outcomes. And I remember thinking like, that's not going to be my story. And that's not going to be my son's story. And this is a sample that's not necessarily reflective of the entire population or what we can do to shift this, okay? And I remember I had this moment of like, okay, Casey, enough information. Like you need to decide what you're gonna do differently, right? This is just someone else's story. This is someone else's experience. It's a snapshot. The same was true for support groups. I removed myself because I was like, it is time to take action. It is time to stop seeking answers and information from other places, especially <laughs> getting 
super triggered and then feeling like there's no positive progress that can be made. Like my son is destined for all these terrible outcomes. And I just decided like I, I'm not getting more information, right? I, I'm just going to start trying some stuff and seeing what's true for my family, right? And so in the program that I work in, the paradigm shift program that I've created and in my coaching, I often see parents early on getting stuck with this. Like we need a certain amount of information. We need to understand the causal mechanisms of like what's going on in the nervous system. We need to understand how our children are perceiving threat. We need to understand all the nuances. But then we have to decide to take action and see what actually works for our unique and particular child, right? Because it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And what, you know, Sally over here with her PDA child, who's the same age as John over here with his PDA child, are going to have two totally different paths with what works for their family, okay? And so the information can start to prevent us from taking action or obscure the clarity of our own path, which is unique. So that's just something to be aware of. Are you waiting for more information before you move into action? And only you know that, right? Like only you know, like, okay, I have the information I need. I think I'm ready to sort of tune out and start trying some stuff and see what my child does in response to some of the changes I'm making, right? Number four, avoiding or denying necessary grief by continuing to look for a fix or solution. Okay, so let me tell you the story of when I did this without even being able to fully admit it or recognize it to myself. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier in the live, I spent a lot of time reading um, and researching the narratives of not just PDA individuals, ADHD, autistic, all sorts of lived experience information. And I remember I thought to myself, like, yes, I want to be neurodiversity affirming. I want to radically accept my child. I'm not trying to change him. But I see how much he's struggling to eat, to engage, to leave the couch, you know, how much trauma he has from the way that we parented. And so even though I wasn't doing like behavioral modification, I did neurofeedback, we did primitive reflex exercises, we did like a chiropractic thing, craniosacral therapy, die-free diet, all the things, right? And some of it was helpful and some of it was not. But I still thought to myself, I'm doing this to support him, not to fix or change him, right? And I truly thought that at the time, right? And then the nail in the coffin for this, for me, was when our service dog arrived. This was two and a half years ago, around the time I started the business. And it was only when the service dog came that I finally had that light bulb moment of myself, which was like, oh, the service dog really helps. He can sleep in his bedroom. He is sleeping much better. He has like another nervous system on the couch with him. He doesn't need every second my nervous system. But I realized it doesn't make PDA go, go away. And when I had that thought, I realized I, I hadn't even realized I had been hoping that, right? And I'm just sharing that with you really honestly, because a lot of parents go through that or are going through it. And it's totally normal. But the question you want to ask yourself in terms of like, where am I getting stuck is, am I seeking out all this information or experts or authorities 
or like more, more, more in order to support my child? Or is it a reflection of the fact that I haven't radically accepted PDA as a nervous system disability? And you might not even be fully aware of what the answer is. (laughs) So this is just a seed to plant because I do see a lot of clients, a lot of families in the paradigm shift program and or in past coaching where it's like, yeah, 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 but have you tried this or should we try this? And it's like, I can see that there's still that desire to fix it and make it go away, even if the parent isn't fully aware, right? And that is not a criticism. It is just an observation and a reflection of where I got stuck for a long time. And so this is why one of the main things I teach and one of the primary tools and the skills that you learn in the in the paradigm shift program has very little to do with PDA and everything to do about decision making and cost benefit decision making and radical acceptance. So it's a tool you could use anywhere in your life, but we apply it to raising a PDA child or teen. And it is with that clarity of seeing your limited options and your constraints that you finally start to radically accept the limitations that are present when you're raising a child with a nervous system disability and the trade-offs to your life when you actually accommodate them. And there's grief, right? Not because you don't love your child or accept them for who they are, but the fact that like, if you're going to lower demands it increases demands on the lead parent's nervous system. If you're going to constantly co-regulate, you're not going to get things done in the home, like painting the walls or putting, you know, hanging up pictures or doing the dishes. They're trade-offs. They're decisions. And, And this is something that isn't talked about enough. But as soon as we start accepting those constraints, we can start to transcend them over the long term and find peace, right? And it was only when I finally, like, It feels like hitting rock bottom. It feels like the bottom of the trauma cave. It feels like giving up in some ways, but it's only when you finally accept that you make space and stop allocating energies towards the things you cannot change that things start to move and shift for you, okay? And that's really at the very heart of the Paradigm Shift program. Parents can go through the whole program and I will still keep bringing them back to this principle because you can apply all the information and accommodations, but if we haven't moved through this, it's never gonna get you to the level of transformation for your family and your child that you want, okay? Finally, the fifth place, fifth and final (laughs) place that I see parents getting stuck in making the progress that they want with their PDA child or teen is not examining the root cause of their own resistance and triggers as parents. So let me give you an example. Like one of the things that I got stuck on was reading, okay? I really felt like I needed to teach my son to read. He needed to read early. He needed to be academically achieving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why was I holding on to that so much? It was about me. It wasn't about him. It was about the fact that I thought it was my job to make him academically successful because that has what has, up until I started this business, what has gotten me everything in life was working hard academically, getting scholarships, getting into good schools. That was my stability. That was my success. Okay. But that doesn't mean it's going to be his, but I was holding on to my root cause of resistance. And that's what was preventing me. Even though I knew I understood PDA, I just kept trying to like, 
I'm just gonna read a little, I'm gonna like strew some reading and the energy around it was like, you have to read, right? And it can be deeper than that. It can be much deeper than that. It can be the religious upbringing you have where, you know, I was raised Catholic and Episcopalian. I'm not religious in any sense. I don't like identify with one religion, but I do practice Buddhism. But the religious upbringing underpinning what the even conceptualization of my job as a parent was got in the way of some of the progress I was making. Because I kept thinking, you know, if I'm thinking about Catholicism, you know, Adam and Eve. (laughs) Eve sins, Adam sins, original sin. And it's their job to, you know, like, rein in the sin as humans and be good. And we need to like control and comply and teach our offspring to do the same so that they can get into heaven. I'm oversimplifying it. But let's just use this as an example. Instead of the premise of like, you have a divine inner light that can be never, never be corrupted, no matter what you do right? Which was like a shift I made of like, no, like regardless of his behavior, I don't have to, I don't have to control this so that he can be good. He's already good. And that was like a huge sticking point. And so if your upbringing, religious or otherwise, has the premise of your job being you need to control them and teach them to be good, in society, like you're always going to feel that you're failing when even if like their eating's getting better, their sleeping's getting better, they're more connected to you, um, their meltdowns have come down. But if you're still focused on, yeah, but they don't, they're not polite to their grandparents and they don't pick up after themselves, you're not going to feel successful and that energy is going to come out, right? If you're a BCBA by training, if you're a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a teacher, all of your training is going to make it harder to make these shifts because the premise of your training, and I have an an analog to my training, (laughs) which is a behavioral model of how we think about helping children, teens, adults, right? And I know not all therapies that way. Some are trauma-informed or somatic, but like teachers, BCBAs, therapists, most of your training, OTs, speech-language pathologists, your training is going to be premised on a foundation of behavioral modification instead of accommodating a nervous system disability. So it's going to be harder for you. So why I'm talking about this is I'm just making it clear and bringing to light so that you have an awareness of where you're getting stuck in a root cause way. Or you may have intergenerational trauma or your own neurotype that's making some of these shifts very, very difficult. I've worked with many families who had childhood trauma and the way that their PDA child with a more fight flight expression was equalizing against the mom was triggering childhood trauma. And so she couldn't be non-reactive, right? Because she had those evocative cues of her childhood. So the first step is just bringing this to light and being aware because information isn't sufficient, right? It's the practice and it's going deeper and it's getting to the root cause and and really holding ourselves with compassion as we recognize these places that we are getting stuck. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. 
to go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.